G'day guys, welcome back to Tradio Podcast, proudly powered by Trade Tools. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Brad, I myself am a tradie, but I've recently hung up the tool belt to bring you guys podcasts and videos courtesy of Trade Tools. So in this podcast, I interview tradies and people at different stages in their careers and from all walks of life. So whatever you're doing today, whether you're flat out or just kicking back, we'd like to say thanks for listening to Tradio and enjoy. All right, guys, here we are for another episode of Tradio, and uh, we've got a special guest in today, Greg Ford, the uh, the man behind Trade Tools. So I suppose I ought to say good morning. Yeah, yeah, good morning. Yeah, yeah. I suppose we'll start off with a quick uh, summary. How did you how'd you end up in the in the tool industry, mate? How did I end up in the tool industry? Um, well, my father was in it when I was a kid, and uh, that's going back quite a long time now. And uh, he uh, was always in the tool industry. And uh, I came out to Australia when I was 21, and my parents followed me out uh, a few years later. And he got a job at the tool company in Sydney called Power Power Tools. And uh, we decided to um, move to Queensland and open a tool company of our own. And we did. That was in 1980. That was 40 years ago. And uh, we named it after ourselves. His name was Len. My name's Greg. Uh, We joined the name together and call it Glenford's. And a lot of people in Queensland might remember Glenford's. Oh, for sure. We uh, we sold that business in 1985 because uh, my dad wanted to retire. He's dead now. He died in 2005. And uh, he wanted to return back to his native Wales. And he went back there and uh, him and my mum bought a, a hotel. And it was a bit like 40 Towers. If you watched 40 Towers, you'd have seen the hotel they had. Um, and after two years, he got really homesick for Queensland. So they sold up and uh, came back. That was in the 1980s. And during that time, um, I wasn't quite sure what to do, so I started Trade Tours in 1987. It's been going ever since. So you, you actually came over here before your parents? Yeah, I was wandering around the world. I was a bit of a hippie, and I turned up in Australia, and I thought, well, this isn't a bad place. I'll stay for a bit. You know, I'll <laughs> stay for a year or two. That was in 1973. I'm still here. <laughs> All right. Well, I suppose we, uh, we should sort of delve into, um, into more current topics, I suppose, with our, our trade-based listeners. So we might um, jump straight in and, and what you think the future of the building economy looks like. If, if you have uh, some insights, you, yeah. sh- you got better than I do, surely. That's a difficult one. Um, the global economy, God, I think it's in a mess, quite honestly. Um, you've got levels of household debt that um, they've reached epic proportions. Um, there's lots of countries that are technically bankrupt. Uh, if they were companies, they'd be closed. We've had governments bribing people. Um, in order to get their votes, they've racked up huge debts. Now we're in a huge debt spiral, and the only way that this continues is by racking up more debt. I think it'll all end in tears. With trade tools, we've tried to insulate ourselves from this, and over the years, um, we've bought most of our buildings. We don't pay any rent, and most of them. So uh, we're in a pretty solid position, and um, you know, I've seen plenty of recessions, plenty of building trade downturns. Uh, we've always managed to come out um, reasonably well. We've seen lots of our competitors fold during that time. Once again, too much debt. They overextend themselves. They uh, expand too quickly. All ends up in tears. After 40 years, we're still here. What do you call your your business sense, the way you buy? You know, you don't rent anything. You have no uh, overheads, essentially. Flintstones. Yeah, I, yeah, I call it the Flintstone uh, economy, really. <laughs> yeah. We, um, we believe in our bricks and mortar, uh, that we own it. We try and treat everyone in the transaction fairly, from our suppliers, our staff, anyone that we deal with, and of course our customers. We try and be as fair as we can to everyone. Everyone should get a drink out of the whole thing. And uh, it seems to work. Um, as my father said years ago, you can lose six customers, you'll still stay in business. If you lose six suppliers, you'll go bankrupt. Yeah. And a lot of our competitors don't seem to uh, appreciate that fact. And um, when things get tight, the suppliers, being humans, will always deal with the people they like the best. 
hopefully that's always, that's always trade tells. True. Well, let's jump into uh, the marketing side of things because obviously uh, when you when you started all this, it was uh, you know a completely different world. How how has it changed for you? People are always asking me about how the internet has affected trade tools. Yep. Um, obviously, we're you know a fairly traditional bricks and mortar operation, and I've thought about this long and hard, and I've been looking at it for years. Um, I think firstly, we mustn't forget that there's always been a thriving mail order mentality amongst many people. And that goes back over 100 years, long before the internet began. Uh, When I was a kid, it was quite common for people to buy things advertised out of magazines or catalogues through a mail order process. It was well proven, it was reliable, and it was sophisticated. And there were many successful companies worldwide that had a large business using a slick mail order format, particularly in countries like North America, Europe, and even Australia. To be fair, all the internet has really done is to make this whole process much more um, slick. It's uh, it's sped up the entire choosing, ordering and paying format. Uh, At Trade Tools, we we have an entire department now dedicated to managing our online business. Uh, But even with it running at its most efficient, it can often still be problematic for any business to sell products online um, than it is to just transact directly person to person over the counter. So the often quoted line that internet selling is a cheaper process because you don't need expensive retail space to operate from is actually not always true, particularly with trade tours as we own most of our premises outright anyway, so we don't pay any rent. There are also many problems associated with incorrect ordering over over the internet, people ordering completely the wrong thing. The actual packing, freight and delivery process is time-consuming and expensive, plus many items that we sell are cumbersome and heavy, so the freight cost is daunting. There's really no easy or cheap way to send a decent-sized air compressor by freight, for instance, and many items like ladders are expensive and awkward to ship, and they always will be. And people often talk about free freight, but of course nothing is really ever free. Someone always ends up paying for it somewhere during the process, and in any retail transaction, it always has to be the customers in the final analysis. Quite simply, anyone that doesn't understand that simple fact of life should never go into business. Yeah. There are also a few human factors that we are always aware of regarding the differences between our in-store and online business models. The first one is that tradespeople like to visit tool and hardware stores in order to touch and feel the products in person. Absolutely. They prefer to discuss and evaluate just what it is they're thinking of buying. Yeah. Consequently, we only ever expect our online business to be a smaller percentage of our entire turnover. Although, to be fair, that percentage still represents a sizable chunk of tools and equipment we sell each week. Unlike most other businesses, our website is our primary catalogue and what we offer. But unlike catalogues of old, we can change, expand and update it in real time as we go. That's the real beauty of the internet. It gives customers a constantly changing window into what we are and what we can offer. It's a far simpler and more efficient way than traditional media advertising, radio or TV, all of which were expensive. And these days, they don't work anywhere near as well as they once did. So that kind of sums up the internet and trade tools. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a good point that um, in-store, it just is nowhere near the same as, you know, buying tools online. You, you have to go in and, and check it all out and feel it with your hands. And uh, I don't think that'll ever, ever end, you know. It's a very blokey thing. I mean... You know, when they want to buy something, they really want to go and feel it. They want to touch it. They yep. want to see it. They want to sit in it or sit on it. Yeah, because it's all well and good reading specs and stuff, but unless you've actually got it in your hand, like fishing rods, for example, I'd never go, uh, I'd never buy a fishing rod online. I've always got to check it out and make sure it is exactly what I need, you know, and that's tools right. are the same. That's, that's like me and motorcycles. I've got a motorcycle collection. I'll never buy one without sitting on the damn thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. 
So to sum up our internet experiences over the last 10 years or so, um, well, we never believed at Trade Tools, as some did, that the internet would sweep all before it and it would sound the death knell for most traditional bricks and mortar retailers. We never believed that. Yeah. It did, to be fair, run a bulldozer through some specific retail sectors, but many of them were old-fashioned, they were poorly run. They had a customer base that was slowly disappearing or even dying off. If you wanted to buy a new electric drill 50 years or so ago, a bloke would more often than not head off to his local hardware store and just see what was on offer, and not these days. A specialist like us have cropped up. We offer a massively greater range, generally better pricing. We've got expert service, plus we stock all of the important stuff that goes with the territory. For instance, if you need a new switch for your cordless drill, you'd never bother going into a hardware store. They wouldn't know what they're talking about. In fact, the good ones will more often than not just send you into a place like Trade Tools. Internet purchase has captured, we were reliably told, between 8 and 10% of all retail purchasing Australia-wide. And surprisingly, that seems to be playing out in our trade tools business as well. But we still send out good volumes of tools and equipment to trade customers that are well beyond the reach of any of our stores. But that was always the case long before the internet was heard of. Thankfully, blokes like going into specialists um, that sell tools, hardware, timber, plumbing, electrical, mechanical. and You can never be seeing something firsthand. And as I once heard said in a film, you know, and th- this always sort of like reminds me of internet buying. You can read and learn all about the Sistine Chapel in Rome, but you'll never really know what it smells or feel like until you actually go inside for yourself, and it's the same with our industry. Absolutely. I'd like to get there one day, the Sistine Chapel. I've been there, yeah. It's worth a visit. <laughs> yeah, I bet. How about uh, over-regulation, mate? Have you got a bit uh, to talk about on that topic? Oh, yeah. <laughs> over-regulation. Everything's Bane changing. the building, right? Yeah, it's changing so fast, eh? Look. Obviously, I'm a migrant. I've been here for 47 years, but I'm always very careful when I criticise Australia. You've, you've got to be. Yeah. <laughs> However, I've watched over the last, you know, 40-something plus years, while Australia has turned into one of the most risk-averse and over-regulated nations on earth. Uh, to me, that's a real shame. It just crushes that famous Aussie rule-breaking spirit that was so prominent when I came here all those years ago. I mean, this is a country built by people in work clothes and overalls. I hate to say it, but it's a country partially ruined by people in suits. Mm. I think what rankles me the most is that we've stood by and we've allowed this to happen. Oh, these fair work laws, for instance, you know, to a great extent, they've frightened employers like ourselves into taking a chance on employing people whilst they've emboldened labour hire companies into choosing who to give work to whilst they cream off the top from both sides. Uh, yeah. In the old days, you kept your job because you deserved to and uh, not because legislation demanded it. Our current fair work laws are mainly to do with revenge. And mm. revenge is always a very bad chisel to carve out tomorrow. So there's not much on more I, I, I can yeah. say about that without getting into deep water. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ask any employer, and there's a good side and a bad side to it. But I think the bad side very often outweighs, you know, outweighs a good side. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah, does. Agreed. Well, uh, what, what do you get asked about often? Is there anything else that uh, you'd like to touch on for our, our sort of trade listeners? Oh, I suppose so. I mean, you know. Obviously, Trade Tools has been quite successful. You know, we uh, we rely upon a high turnover and a small profit margin. And uh, it's a formula that's worked for many successful companies over, you know, hundreds of years. Um, you know, I've always looked upon money as a, as a, as a token. It represents energy and effort and labour. It represents ingenuity, um, either invested either by yourself or from someone else. Every dollar that you've ever held represents someone's sweat and toil. It never grew on any tree and it certainly didn't land here from outer space. 
I think every successful self-made person that I've ever met seems to fully understand that simple barefaced fact. And these sort of people, these successful people, they never waste money and they always understand its true value. Money is only ever really wasted by people who don't understand the science of it. And uh, they, they don't understand its power. And that is why people who came in, into money without actually earning it usually blow it pretty quickly. If you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. That's probably true throughout every aspect of life. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we're right at the coalface, you know. We, uh, yeah. we supply the stuff that people earn their living by. 99% of our customers are trade customers anyway. Yeah. Or people that are pretty serious. I mean, you know, you, you get people that come into the stores that they're in suits and they've got a car parked out the front. They're obviously a rep of some sort. And, you know, they, they buy something specific and you say, you know, what are you using it for? Because we always ask that, you know. Yeah. And um, they say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a pharmaceutical rep, but I'm, I'm actually a boilermaker by trade, so... They're yeah. trade customers, even though they're not buying it for trade use. Yeah, yep. that's one of the things we always do. I'm, I'm amazed, you know. Um, you can go into any other business and you ask to buy something, uh, and they they just they try and sell it to you. They yep. have no idea if they're selling you the right thing, and that's one of the things that we do. We always say, "We're going to use it for." You'd be amazed at some of the answers you get. Yeah. Just <laughs> stunning, you know. And if you didn't ask that question, you'd have sold them entirely the wrong thing and they'd been back in the store within an hour throwing it at you. Yeah. So uh, that's one of the things we've always done. If basically, if you don't find out what it's going to be used for, you get fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty brutal, but it works, you know. <clears throat> well, you see it a lot. It reflects a lot in our um, in our reviews too. I've noticed, you know, most – a lot of a good portion of the reviews are people saying, you know, that the fellas are actually asking and and trying to figure out what's going on, and you know that really good customer service, which is I think something that as a company is something to be incredibly proud of, you know. Oh, I've seen the most amazing things. I was in a store uh, a few years ago, and there was an old guy in there. He's a nice old guy, and he was trying to fit a concrete uh, cutting disc into a miter saw. <laughs> and I was listening to this conversation unfold and uh, the guy was trying to supply him with a diamond blade to fit into this really cheap oh. har- a miter saw that you bought in a hardware store. So I went up and I said, excuse me, I said, but you can't get a diamond blade of that size to fit in that saw. No and the way. guy said, why is that? And I said, well, it's not really meant to cut concrete. <laughs> not at and all. He, and he said, yeah, but I bought this uh, I bought this miter saw at a hardware store whose yeah. name I won't say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he said... Um, I said to the young guy there, I said, I'm, I'm going to build a, you know, a house out of concrete blocks. And the bloke said, well, if you buy this miter saw and then you go to trade tools, I'll sell you a diamond blade. And the fellow said, well, aren't you supposed to sort of like use water? And he said, well, what you do, you get your wife to stand behind the saw and it's hold a hose on. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be a joke. <laughs> Unfortunately, I found out the bloke was being serious. And I said, mate, there's no way you're going to kill yourself or, or damage someone or, yeah. you know, you electrocute your wife. And he said, <laughs> um, oh, well, what am I supposed to do? And I said, well, you know, that's why we sell, you know, brick saws. And he yeah. said, but they're over a thousand dollars. I said, they're cheap. I yeah. said, because you can't do the job you're aiming to do without a brick saw. You can forget it. Yeah. And he eventually bought a brick saw, but um, that wasn't the real reason that we got in the conversation. I just thought, I can't believe the kind of advice they get elsewhere. Yeah. They should have come in here. Otherwise, they should get someone else to do the job. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, he's still alive and hopefully, he's got a nice brick house. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. <laughs> Sort of explaining tool price, you know, for, for some specific tools like a brick saw, right, over a grand. But if you try and do that same job with a with a tool not designed to do it, you're going to – the amount of extra time you have to spend trying to complete the job and the, and the end result is just 
you just got to, you know, get the tool specific for the job to make it so much easier. That's why every every job has a specific tool. Well, that's the difference between now and the Stone Age, isn't it? I mean, in the Stone Age, you just got a hunk of stone and try and break things with yeah, it. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, for instance, you know, we sell four-inch angle grinders. We sell thousands of them. Yeah. I, I dread to think how many we've sold over the years. Yeah. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands might be. Um, and when you think of a four-inch angle grinder, you can buy an industrial one of those for anything for sort of 60 to 100 bucks. Yeah. And, um, you know, people say, oh, but I expect it to last for 20 years. It won't last for 20 years unless you only use it sort of for five, five hours a year. Yeah. A four-inch angle grinder, an industrial one, is designed to last for, say, 100 hours maximum. Even oh, the best right. ones won't last more for more than that. Yeah. So people say, well, that doesn't sound very long. I say, well, okay, well, go and do the job without an angle grinder, then it'll seem very cheap. Because an angle grinder, if it worked for 100 hours and it costs you $100, it's a dollar an hour. You yeah. imagine trying to do the job it does yeah. by hand. It's yeah, just yeah. impossible. <laughs> so the beauty of it uh, in this industry is that, yeah, things wear out. They sometimes last a lot longer. And we've all heard people say, oh, but my granddad, he bought a four-inch Makita in 1973 and it's still going. Yeah. So, yeah, but probably your granddad didn't use it very much. Or you get the old freak tool that lasts forever, but generally they don't, you know. Yeah. The only thing we guarantee is they'll eventually break down. Yeah. That's a guarantee that we know is 100% accurate. For sure. Well, um, what about the near future for trade tools? Is there any ideas on the horizon um well yeah back to the old uh, trade talks flintstone economy again yeah we we sell as much as we can and then we save our money and when we've got enough we go and buy a premises and then we save a bit more and we fill it full of tools and then we hope it works and generally it does yeah we've only had one store over our 40 year period that we've actually opened run it for five years and closed it and that was in a different state just didn't suit us you know yeah um but we tend to plot along and we put in stores in places where we like the premises and we tend to like the people. Look, I suppose we'll open one store every 18 months. Yep. Um, and uh, it'll only be in a location where we think it needs an industrial tool store. Yeah. Um, we, send, we tend to get our competitors, they come and try and open up right next to us and then they wonder why they can't really steal our customers. And I always say to people, well, look, you know, if, you, if you're a baker and you want to open a new bakery, you, you don't go to a store a town with three good bakeries in it, do you? Yeah, of course. You go and find a town which hasn't got a very good bakery or, or no baker at all and open up there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've never bothered to sort of follow competitors around. In fact, we tell of all of our competitors where we're going to open our stores. And yeah. on one or two occasions, they try and get in there before us. And I think, well, <laughs> if you want to do that, you go for your life. Yeah. And they never really work very well, you know. Yeah. As I say, you know, you might pinch 10% of our customers, but we'll pinch 50% of yours, and we nearly always do. Yeah, true. Because this is what we do. This is all we do. You know, we're, we're not we're not out to sell franchises. We, we are a, a, a business that is run by the people that work work in the business and um, some years ago I wanted to keep my staff and whatever and I thought well you know I've done all right so I'll give some of the shares away so back in 2005 I think it was I started to give shares in trade tools to people that have been here for 10 years or more there's an enormous amount of people that have been here for that length of time and more in fact I've just walked past a bloke outside that's been working in trade tools for 30 years it's almost as long as me it's amazing Um, anyway um I started giving them shares and we started opening more stores and the shares grew and grew and grew. And we've now got over 50 shareholders, almost all of which work in the company. In fact, only three of them don't. And that's because they're retired. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, the, the the rest of us, uh, including me, and I, I still 
you know, what a lot of the time in trade talks. Yeah. Um, they're all shareholders and they don't tend to leave. They tend to stay and they keep their expertise with us. And so I'm, I'm quite proud of that fact, actually. We're, we're actually a company that is owned and run by the people that work here and they're, they're all shareholders with substantial shares in the business, you know. So we plot along and we do all right. It, tends to, it, it seems to work and people keep saying, you know, are you going to sell trade tools? Trade tools will never be sold. It will never be sold. It was set up to um, to help give work to people that, you know, needed it like myself and a few friends of mine and my dad and that years ago. And um, that's the way it always will be. And I, I just wish there was more companies like Trade Tools that, you know, grow and prosper within the economy, employ people, do the right thing, can be generous, as opposed to these businesses that start up, go for 10 years and sell out to grow some great big conglomerate. Yeah. And so we end up with a, a country like Europe or America, which is just run by massive companies that do what they bloody well like. And it just doesn't seem right to me, you know. Yeah. I think Australia should be a country that is run by, you know, many successful small private businesses like Trade Tools. I'd like to see that happen. But unfortunately, that's not the way seen, things seem to be going. Yeah, everything's uh, copying, uh, copying suit, it seems. That, but I, yeah, I feel like uh, Trade Tools has a fantastic business model you know for for small businesses to to look at well you only got to go to america i mean i've, I've got a good mate of mine lives in kentucky and it's a beautiful place and he took me down to his uh, local town where a town that he was born and bred in he's two years older than me so he's getting on yeah and um he actually apologized for the town the 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 main street he said when he was a kid was full of people where he you know, every day and at the weekends it was a place to go. Every There were crowds there and there were things going on. Yeah. I was there with him on a Saturday morning. The, the, the main street was dead. Almost every shop was boarded up. Um, there was one struggling shoe shop that had been there forever. Um, there was one estate agent that looked like it was about to close its doors. There was a fruit and vegetable shop there which didn't even bother to have a sign over the door. It looked like it was about to close. Yeah. All of the other shops were empty. And at the edge of the town there was a gigantic Walmart yeah. And everyone had been impoverished by it. People that worked in there earned minimum wage. Um, all the other businesses have folded. It was a terrible thing to see. And I'd hate to see Australia end up like that. Yeah, well, I suppose that's a good thing to keep in mind, you know, when you're deciding where to purchase from, you know, try and support businesses that actually got uh, Australia in mind, eh? I've got nothing against companies like Bunnings. In fact, Bunnings is a very well-run hardware company. One of the best I've ever seen, and I've been to a few of them around the world, including... Obviously, Europe and America and whatever. Yeah. But it would be a horrible country indeed if the only companies that we had to deal with were companies the size of Bunnings. Yeah. They need lots of small competition. It keeps everyone honest. Keeps the country richer as well. Yeah. We don't just want the top 1% owning 70% of the landmass as they do, say, in the UK. Yeah. Which is disastrous for the, yeah. the, the majority of average working people. They just get screwed and what they end, they either end up living a life of penury or else they emigrate like I did. Not yeah. a good thing. We don't want Australia to end up like that. For sure. There's one thing I will say about um, tradespeople and something that we haven't touched upon is our customer base. Yeah, right. Uh, I, look, one of my greatest personal regrets is I didn't do a trade. Oh, I, yeah. I stuffed around when I was a young guy. I just didn't do a trade I should have done, you know. Yep. I think learning a trade gives a young guy or young people, it gives them a sense of self-worth. It teaches them to be practical. It teaches them to res be responsible, respectful and careful, especially young guys, you know, the value of hard work and how to act like an adult. Yep. If I had my way, I think I'd have every young person learn a trade, men and women. And the closest I could get to experience a trade background was to go into business supplying tools that the trades use. That was thanks to my dad in a way. He was a tradesman. He was a fitter and turner by trade. 
And I've always held that tradespeople, I've always held them in high regard. You know, they're probably one of the main reasons why we've been successful in supplying them. After all, um, you can generally judge a society by the quality of the tools it uses and almost without exception, the most advanced societies in the world produce the very best tools. It's that simple. Uh, you know, and all of this nonsense about forcing people to work until they're 70 years old, especially tradesmen. I mean, surely no one that's ever worked in the building trade, for instance, could ever agree with that. I mean, forcing concreters and bricklayers and carpenters, plumbers, electricians, etc., to continue hard physical work, you know, past the age of 60 is... Well, it's got to be cruel, isn't it? It's uncaring. Yeah. Especially if the people doing the forcing are people in offices who have been doing you know, hardly a physical day's work in their lives for a living. So I've got a high regard uh, for the trades. Um, without good tradespeople, you wouldn't have a society, would you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I know there's lots of other worthwhile occupations, especially in healthcare, nursing, all that sort of stuff. Yep. But without tradesmen, they wouldn't have a hospital to work for. So I've always held them in high regard, and I think they know that, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it takes a lot of skill to be a good tradesman. And you've got to be good at a lot of things these days to be a good tradesman. You've got to be good at your book work. You've got to understand regulation. You've really got to keep up to date with all the, you know, the various rules and regs that councils continually foist upon us. Um, and you don't get the respect that you deserve. Um, and no matter how much they earn, mate, it ain't enough. These guys are the, the cream of society in many ways and they work hard for their living and they deserve it. And we try and do the best by them when we can. You know, that's, I think that's one of the main reasons that trade tools are successful. We respect these guys and um, good on them too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in a mad world, don't we? I mean, you know. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. I yeah, mean, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've been here for 68 years next year and, I, you know, some of the some of the things that you hear, I mean, you know, what, what is it? They say more people die of obesity than die of starvation these days. Our, our yeah. national health systems, our judicial systems, our education systems, our pension systems, they're all stretched to the limit. They're all evidently underfunded. Our yeah. cities are clogged with traffic. You know, God, affordable housing is beyond the reach of millions of hardworking young people. That's yeah. got to be wrong. Yeah. Our prisons are overflowing. You know, our, our political systems are... They seem to be in disarray. Yeah, most people treat politicians with contempt. I don't, of course. Yeah, <laughs> large swathes of the population do. <laughs> yeah, I think only a fool would trust the major banks. Yeah, I think I trust my bank, but you know, bank greed and the global financial crisis of two thousand and eight—that was all caused by unsustainable debt. And since then, we've racked up more debt. So, yeah, a very, very confusing cocktail. Um, someone says to me about the, you know, what do I see for the future? I have no idea. Um, they say that you can understand the future by studying the past, but I've never quite seen a past like it, especially since 2008 and the global financial crisis. Yeah, I don't know where we're headed. I really so, don't. Sort of hard to, to generalise a, a future site, you know, as you, all you have to do is look at the past because it's so dynamic. It's always changing. The whole world is, uh, you know, everything's different to the last collapse. I'll give you an interesting statistic. When I was 26 or 25, when I was 25, I bought my first house in Sydney. Yeah. Um, it was a, a two-bedroom chamfer board. It was a shit box. I mean, that's the only way to describe it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But it was our shit box. Yep. And it was on a third of an acre, and it needed fully renovating, and it cost me, believe it or not, 34750 $34,750. Right. Now, you don't get much of a car for that these days, but we're talking 40-something years ago. Yeah. But to put it into context, and the world wasn't that much different than it is now, Okay. We didn't have mobile phones. That was the main thing that was you know, different. But we still had phones. I mean, everyone still communicated. Yeah. Anyway, I was earning at the time $9,000 a year, and that was about the average annual wage. Believe it or not, I was selling real estate in Sydney. Right. I wasn't particularly successful. I was earning the average annual wage. So my house cost me, in those days, 
four times the average annual wage. This was a house in Sydney in a place called Normanhurst. Yeah. So we were a young couple, bought our first house, four times the average annual wage. My wife was working. She was working for a clothes shop down in our time, and between us we were earning about uh, 300 bucks a week. Yeah. Anyway, someone said to me the other day, things, things were tough then. I said, no, 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 they're a lot tougher now. Now let's say a 25-year-old person, yeah. a young couple, wanted to buy that same house today. Yep. I looked on realestate.com. I found almost exactly the same house in the same street in Normanhurst in Sydney yeah. for sale, asking price $1.29 million. I worked out that that's over 15 times the average annual wage. So I think it's a, it's a disgrace that young people can't get married and buy a first home without going very, very deeply into debt. Yeah. And Sydney was always more expensive than everywhere else. It was always like that. Yeah. In fact, we sold that house in Sydney for nearly 60000 and we came to Queensland in 1980. That's when we started in the tool industry. Yeah. And you could still buy a house in Nunda in Brisbane for thirty grand, half the price of Sydney. Yeah. So things are a lot harder than they were all those years ago when I was a young guy. And that's not fair on young people in Australia. It should never have been allowed to happen. I think you can play, blame our planning laws, our government officials, our politicians. Yeah. Whatever. When young people can't afford to buy a house, there's got to be something wrong, especially in a country the size of Australia. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm not on the uh, homeowners list yet either, mate. No, it just hasn't come up as a as a feasible idea. So, yeah, what do you do? You just kick back and uh, and watch your years roll on, I suppose. And oh, I, can't, I can't see it getting back to how it was in the 1970s. I just can't, you know, when, yeah. when things are more affordable. Cars yeah. are more expensive. Everything was more expensive, but houses were cheaper yeah, in okay. real terms. Right. Now it's the other way around. Everything's cheap, but houses are outrageously expensive. It just yeah. doesn't make sense. We become like Europe because in many ways, I think we've adopted some of the same rules and regulations of Europe and Europe hasn't worked. And yet the politicians, they keep all quote, all they do this in the UK or they do this in Denmark or they do this in France. I think, so what? It yeah. hasn't worked, you know, it yeah. hasn't worked, but they don't seem to learn. I don't want to be called a whinger either, you know. I didn't nah. come here to whinge. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, not at all. No. Not, not as though people whinge from where I come from. Not much they don't. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good chat. I feel pretty good about that. That's good. Well, there you go. There you go. Well, uh, all right, Greg, thanks for coming in, mate. It was a uh, good chat. And uh, until next time, uh, I bid you adieu, mate. Thank you. I hope I haven't upset too many uh, customers with my comments, but there you go, straight I, from the heart. So, I doubt it, mate. It's a free country. You can say what you like. You <laughs> yeah, know. that's right. Good nah, on you. I think most of the listeners are uh, pretty uh, down-to-earth sort of people too. So, mm. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Well, there we have it. Another episode wrapped up, guys. I'd love to hear your feedback. And you can email me at tradio at tradetools.com or message your Trade Tools social pages with any topics you'd like to hear about. And, of course, be sure to hit the subscribe button to keep up to date. Until the next episode, see ya!